Are you looking for organic grown CBD products? Well, check out Essentially Yours CBD Spot. The Essentially Yours CBD Spot LLC offers organically grown CBD products. Their passion is to help you become a healthier you naturally, non-GMO, gluten-free, and vegan-friendly. So go to www.essentiallyyourcbdspot.com. Hey, so we're recording a new episode of The Cute Chat, and today I have another entrepreneur, and anyone that listens to The Cute Chat knows that I love talking to entrepreneurs. So right now, I have an awesome one, and her name's Miss Alicia Monique, and she's out of Florida, and she's actually in the beauty industry. So this is for my ladies. So I want to give Miss Alicia the floor so she can go ahead and introduce herself. Hey guys, I hope everyone's having a wonderful day, time, night, even, whatever time you're watching this, it really doesn't matter. But um, I just wanted to let you know um, that I am a salon coach, but before that, I am a licensed practice hairstylist with over 19 years experience. Um, Hair is always my first love. I love to have my hands in someone's head doing something creative. (laughs) Um, That's where my creative aspect comes from. But here recently for the past four years, I have been doing um, salon coaching where I help salon owners build their back-end business. I always get asked, you know, how to build a clientele. Well, I kind of fell into how to do that because my husband's military and we always moved a lot. And I'm not talking about just move down the street where you (laughs) keep some of your clients. You know, I'm talking about move a whole nother state where you know your clients are not coming across country to get their hair done. So you basically are starting all over. Right. Um, and I've kind of like scaled down my process to like a six month process to have a full clientele, which typically takes about two years, you know, hard work. But along with that, um, I noticed when I was trying to help stylists build their clientele and get their business together, that all of their problems fell on the salon and what mm-hmm. the salon owners allowed them to do. Um me being me, I'm like, okay, I got to get to the root of the problem. So if a stylist that I'm helping can't grow in a salon that they're working in, then it's not the stylist's fault. It's the salon's fault. Mm. So being a salon owner also, I owned a salon for eight successful years uh, at one of the states that me and my husband uh, were stationed in. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard, like it's hands down, it's hard. I And I get it. And I was down there in the trenches with everyone else out there that are salon owners. So I know the struggles and I know the stories and I know all the excuses. Cause trust me, I had a bunch of them myself where I wanted to lock my salon door and just never come back. Like, (laughs) you know, like I don't care. I will pay the mortgage. I will, I mean, I will pay the lease. I would do whatever, but I want to come back here. But that's not the reason why we open salons. We don't open salons to close down. We don't open salons to struggle, but we do open salons with the stylist mind. And that's not good for business. Right. I'm glad though, just hearing what you're saying, because, you know, we women in general, we all know beauty industry. And I actually went to beauty school myself out of high school. So it's funny (laughs) that you said that, but, um, I think a lot of people, like, for example, if they love to do hair or if the, if they love anything, I think sometimes people forget the business aspect of anything, you know, and I know people say that a lot in the entertainment industry, too. Like, if someone loves to sing, they forget that there's also business involved. So with styling hair in general, 
I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, the business aspect of it, you know, because I think I know like when I personally was interested in cosmetology and this was a long time ago, I felt like a lot of people kind of looked down upon it, which I thought was ridiculous because I'm like, do you know how much money people make, you know, in the hair industry, people need their hair done. That's not a skill that everyone has. So, you know, I just find it interesting that, you know, you are mentioning the business portion of it because I think a lot of people don't realize like the beauty industry is a major industry. It's definitely like, I feel like it's our industry too, like for minorities as well, black women, you know, I just think that that's our thing, you know? So I know you said that you moved a lot, obviously having a husband in the military. And I know you said you had one successful salon for eight years. What location was that in? Like, which state was that during your moves? I was located in Georgia at the time. So I was in a small military town. Um, well, I wouldn't even say it was a small military town because it was a nice size military town. Let's put it that way, because mm-hmm. I've been to some small military towns where I'm like, is this is it? Like, <laughs> that's all that's here that you I got to go how far to get to something bigger? Like it was like a two hour drive. We were stationed in um, Arizona one time where it was about two hours to get to something of interest. Mm-hmm. So um, Georgia is where I own my salon. Um it was a nice size town where there was there were other salons there as well. Um, but the thing is, is when I decided to own the salon, we were going to be there for a while. And my thought was like, OK, if we're going to make this possibly close to the last stop, let me own a business and see how that goes. Because and- as a stylist, we don't get that business part and we never right. have the pause to right. learn either. Now, when you started out and when you started styling hair, what was your transition from being a stylist to deciding to own your salon? Was that like always your scope? Like when you initially began into, into cosmetology, did you always have in your mind, like I want to own that salon or did you initially start out wanting just basically to be a stylist? Well, going to beauty school, I just wanted to do hair. That's mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to do. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, like everybody else, I did hair out the house first. Mm-hmm. It, I did not want to go to beauty school because I was like, I can make money outside of what I need to go to school for. I can still make money, you know. <laughs> but my husband was like, at the time, boyfriend, he was like, you need to go to school. Like, mm-hmm. you need to go to school because you could charge more. My mom go to get her hair done and she paid this and... Uh, my sister go get her hair done and she paid it. I'm like, they pay what? How much they pay? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I put up my prices. And he was like, but you don't have no license. And right. if you get your license, you get paid more. So I was like, you know, chalked it up and was like, okay, I'm going to beauty school. But in beauty school, I would always talk to my other teachers and ask them like the things that they did in the industry. So thought process typically when you come into the beauty industry is you just want to do hair. Mm-hmm. But it opens up so many other doors. Like right. It's endless opportunity inside of the beauty industry as long as you have that license behind you. Mm. So when I came in, my mindset was like, okay, what else can I do besides hair? Let me create a list of things I could do. I enter hair competitions. Check that off. I could be a beauty school instructor. I did that as well. I work for other product companies going around different states teaching other salons about that product. Did that as well. Work in hair magazines because now you can work in celebrities and you can get published and you can work on film sets. And like the list is 
endless as mm-hmm. long as you have that license behind you. And I'm I'm pretty sure I'm still not done. I'll think of something else that I haven't done yet. I'm glad you mentioned those different avenues because, you know, like I said, I you know I have a cosmetology background too, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. You know, I also do makeup. And yeah, you can work on those movie sets. There's so many different things you can do in the beauty industry. And I think people kind of don't, I guess, I, I guess it's kind of different. Like if you, and, you and I are talking about it, like obviously we know, but like, mm-hmm. I think it's different. People don't realize, okay, when you watch your favorite actress on a movie set, like someone did her hair, they did her makeup, you know, they did her wardrobe, they did her nails, they did <laughs> her period, they redid, exactly. they redid her. Right. People don't realize that. Like, there's so many places you can go. Like, if you watch the Academy Awards, there's a category, you know, for the makeup and hairstylists, you know, because that's a part of that industry, too, is extremely vital and important. So did you start doing hair as a child? Like, were you always interested, like, even as a young child? Even as a young kid, I did hair. So basically, as a kid, like, I had, like, the best baby dolls on the block. (laughs) <laughs> we had, me and my friends that would come over to my house it was always okay we could play but you can't touch my baby dolls and he was like <laughs> why not I'm like you gotta bring your own with you because I'll bring to your baby dolls I saw their hair and their hair looked horrible and they're like oh my god why you I'm like listen like they were all like I had them all like lined up you know as a kid you had all your baby dolls like lined up in one area I used to make sure they were nice I used to make sure they had clothes on, but I didn't really care whether they clothes matched or not because it was more so like they had to look cute. That is so funny. Right. And that was me as a kid coming up. And my mom would always look at it. And my mom could not comb hair. Like, wow. My mom could not comb hair to save her life. Now, I, mind you, she can grow hair. Mm-hmm. My mother would keep her hair, she would press it. I had hair down my back. Wow. But when it came to styling, it was horrible. It was so. My ponytails were lopsided. My mom could not <laughs> fade. My bang used to be so tight on my forehead. Mind you, my hair would come like under my chin. It was just horrible. Wow. And I would always say when I got older, I would learn how to do hair because my mom can't. Like wow. that was just not something for her. She can grow hair, but she can't do hair. So I, w- I have to do hair. And then it started with doing like all of her friends in the neighborhood growing up. I used to do like $5 French rolls back in the day on Saturdays oh, and wow. got all my mom's friends together for church. Wow. I had my own little, <laughs> I remember the curling iron I had, it was like a black and white Queen Helene curling iron, <laughs> the little old cheapy curling iron and I would curl their hair and they would put the little sponge rollers in and I would seal that French roll up with that hairspray and wrap that curling iron around it so that, you know, that hairspray would sizzle. And <laughs> yes. Would never, that's how, that's literally how it started. And from there, it was, it was a wrap. Wow. Wow. I have a fun question I'm going to ask you before we end this. So I got to keep that in my Rolodex mm-hmm. that I want to ask you. <laughs> so, so uh, some other questions I have for you though. So just looking, you know, at your information, and obviously you're a salon coach, as you mentioned. So just going down the list of the things that you work on, as you mentioned, so you create back-end structure, you build a clientele, team, and brand, and also how to develop a hair product line. So let's say like you met like your average client, okay? Um, they're in business, they're a salon owner, and they're struggling. How do you map out from the beginning how you coach them in order to be successful? Well, everybody's, every client that I have worked with is different. Mm-hmm. 
And I would say everybody going forward that I will work with is different. So the first thing that I do is I have to understand your goals. What is it that you're trying to do? Um, I work on I work with your goals in mind and based on what your business current currently look like. Will your will will that get you to your goals? Mm. Nine out of ten, the answer is no. Mm. The answer is always no. And when it answers no, then I have to look at it and say, okay, based on what you said you want to do, this is what needs to be done. And I mean, I've literally worked with salons where I literally deconstructed the entire business and built it back up again. And I'm talking about going from your price, your your pricing list, your whole salon pricing structure, throw that out the window and we will start all over again with new prices, renaming a lot of services to um to 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 be in alignment with the goal you have because sometimes imagine this imagine having this goal that you like is so far-fetched that you like i can't get there where if you look at currently where you are you cannot get there so Mm -hmm. if you have this this luxury goal that you want to create and you over here with this bottom line mentality and this bottom line salon I got to step your salon up to be luxury right now mm. so that that luxury goal becomes achievable. And it's usually starting with the pricing list. If you're a commission-based salon, I restructure your whole commission-based salon. If you're a booth rental salon, I start off with your booth rental, your, your chair pricing, your contracts. I'm talking all of that stuff. Your back bar, mm. I jump to your back bar. Um, I go through your expenses because if you are spending more than you are making, now we need to cut your expenses. And then I also work with um, income goal setting. So immediately off the jump, I have you find ways and give you strategies in order to start increasing your weekly income. Because here's the tip. Every stylist should be making a minimum of $2,000 a week. Mm. If you are the only stylist in your salon, then you should still be making $2,000 a week. If you have a salon with multiple stylists, then your goal is to have them make $2,000 a week also. Mm. So ultimately, as the owner of the salon, working in the salon by yourself, your monthly income right off the bat with working with me will be $8,000 that month. Mm. Wow. That's typically, if you're in a small salon, you can cover your expenses and you'll have some type of profit left. But most stylists don't see that weekly income goal at all because there's too many other little problems that's in the way of getting to that weekly goal, which is why mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I got to work on the back end because I can give you a million strategies right now. Like I just told you a money strategy. Mm-hmm. I got plenty of those. Mm-hmm. But if that back end stuff is not right, I can give you 20 more money goals and you'll never make it. Wow. How do clients find you? Like, you know, how, you know, what's the typical process of you linking up with a client? Most of my clients find me through like my Facebook page or my Instagram page. And the majority of them end up on my website at aliciamonique.com. Mm-hmm. And when you're over there, like it's so much information for you um, that you're just drawn to like, I, I, I just got to get this one problem solved 100%. Mm-hmm. I can't keep fiddling around with all this information and all these pieces and the puzzle. Like you can go to my website. It's about a thousand piece puzzle over there. 
Mm. But most people, like, they need the answer right now. They want to jump to it. So we go into consulting, um, mm -hmm. business strategy sessions. Um, busy strategy sessions are two-hour sessions. We usually run about three hours during the session. And we literally putting pieces together. And those are for people who are, are really ready and don't have a lot of um, breakage, I call it, breakage in their background where mm -hmm. we tweak a couple things, they can implement the strategies, we rearrange a couple things and they're good to go. But I also have a 12-month program that I do where I'm literally for the next 12 months building up an entire salon business from the ground up. I don't care how long you own it. If there's a lot of broken pieces, we need to take time to build all of these up. Mm -hmm. And I do that through my Salon Business Blueprint Club where there's a library of, courses and classes and everything available to you but i also do q a calls i do one-on-one -on -one coaching through that um as well that's amazing so what inspired you to even think to do this though because i mean obviously i mean you know your stuff <laughs> like you know and obviously you have the history you've owned salons you've done hair you know you have that cosmetology license you have the structure what made you just think, well, you know, let me help other sisters, other salon owners, you know, other business women grow? Like what inspired you to even come up with this? It started, well, when I owned my salon, my whole, my two goals I had when I owned my salon is to make six figures and to help other stylists that work with me. Mm. I never wanted a stylist to stay with me forever. Mm. That was my whole thing. Like you can stay, you can stay here as long as you want. But I don't have a problem with you leaving. But when you leave, I wanted to know that I added some type of extra value to your career. That was my whole thing. Making a six figures was another thing. That was a, a whole long struggle of figuring that out as well, which is why I'm like, I know the answer to get to where, where stylists want to be. When you open a salon, you don't open it up to shut it down and you don't open it up to just be a nonprofit organization. You open a salon to make money. I don't know, not one nonprofit salon. <laughs> right. If there is one out there, by all means, <laughs> reach out to me. I would gladly get on the phone and chat with you and make sure your business is together. But if you're a nonprofit salon, reach out, AliciaMonique.com. I will hook you up. <laughs> but until then, salons are in business to make money. And every styles I work with, they would call back and they would open a salon up uh, when they left because I once again, I was in a military town. So I employed military stylists. So they would move. And a stylist called me back one time and was asking me stuff. And I remember having her with me when I was doing certain things in my business. And when she would call and ask me, I'm like, why is she asking me this? Mm. And she was like, you know what? I just I just don't know. I got to do this. And I'm like, girl, what, what's wrong with you? She's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, what you scared or something? She was like, uh, yeah, a little bit. I was like, listen, you know, how you, you got to put your mama voice on sometimes. Like, listen, right. you know, you, you was with me. Like you saw what happened. You know, the steps, like just do it. And then take a picture of the picture of your little certificate for your salon, please. And send it back to me. So I could congratulate. <laughs> it was literally like I had to turn into that mama voice because I knew she knew what to do. Right. Long story short. She opened a great salon. She did exactly what I told her to do. And I'm like, if I could help that one stylist open up her own salon, I could help other people turn their salons around. Because initially, I was just helping stylists, mm -hmm. helping stylists build a clientele, helping stylists make more money. 
But when you help stylists, for them to achieve their goals, it falls on a salon. There are some salons out there that are just not willing to help stylists achieve their goals, which doesn't make sense to me because if the stylists grow, the salon grows. Mm-hmm. So if I can help, if I cannot help a stylist have a meeting with the owner, lay down their expectations from the owner, let the owner know how they plan to grow their business inside their business. If they're a booth rental, let them know what they want to do to scale their business because they're a commission stylist. So if I can't help the stylist, then the problem is the owner. Let mm-hmm. me go help the owner. What do you find to be one of the most common problems for a salon that may be struggling um you know like sometimes people have like general complaints like I, I would feel like kind of like the same general complaints about salons sometimes like oh when I go there they don't follow my appointment time or you know things like that so what would be one of the one of the main common cracks that you find from your average struggling salons I guess um, I could say are like the salons that you have come across that have had some serious problems, what would you think um, would be like one of the most common problems that they had? I think the biggest problem most salons have is fear. Mm. And that fear looks like they're being stubborn, they're being selfish, they're being greedy. But under the underlying is fear. Fear of having another stylist work with you, make more money. Wow. Fear of having... Um, or of not accommodating a certain amount of customers, clients, or guests during a certain period, during a certain day, so that they can make about a certain amount of money for themselves. It's that fear factor. Mm. And it doesn't look like that when you on the outside, like how you said, clients show up, they're late for their appointments, or the client, the stylist may be running behind, but. They won't like, okay, so another stylist can accommodate you. You know, I have an assistant who can start you with shampooing you. Like all of that running the whole business, it's the fear of losing some type of money or a stylist taking a client. It's always that fear factor back there. Mm. Wow. Like that's that's the underlying problem. Like if we as salon owners, first of all, we have to get rid of the stylist hat. We don't know how to sit that hat down. We mm-hmm. wear it so much mm-hmm. and we wear it for so long that we don't think it's another hat right right and i i mean now i personally you know like i said because i do have a cosmetology background so like i don't have to go to the hairstylist thank god you know like and i don't mean in a negative (laughs) way but like i know how to do my own hair but in the past like when i was younger that's actually how i started doing hair because i used to go to like this kitchen beautician you know when i was a Mm -hmm. teenager and she was terrible and I don't mean terrible as far as the hair she did. Like, she was, like, the best hairstylist in the world as far as, like, the technique. But, like, you would go there and, like, oh, it would be, like, a bunch of girls, like, piled up in our bedroom. <laughs> and we'd be waiting for her to do our hair. And I would, like, literally, because obviously there are so many people ahead of us, I would watch everything she did. And I would go home and start mimicking it. And that's that was the step to me learning how to do hair. Um and I just, you know, like, that's how I took off with it. But I noticed, like, just now, people that get their hair done, I've gone to, you know, in the past where, like, the owner is, like, also a stylist, too. And they just would seem so overwhelmed and so flustered because, right. you know, they were actually there in their business, their salon, 
you know, that they owned, obviously, but they were also, you know, servicing clients. And, and it seems like it would just be a little bit overwhelming. It is. It is. So I was I, I did hair, too, at my own salon. And sometimes I was the receptionist. I didn't have a problem with being a receptionist on the day. If mm-hmm. I looked at the book and my stylist was booked and I look around and I ain't got nobody, I don't care. Even if I didn't want to be there, I'll put on some different clothes. And I would sit my happy self at that desk all day long, answering phones, making appointments, checking out their clients. And they would come around the corner be like, what you doing? I thought you was off. I, yeah, I am off. But y'all is so booked today <laughs> that I'm here. And they wouldn't even say, they wouldn't say nothing. Mm. They would just like, okay, um, she's going to revoke for two weeks and she's getting this and she's getting that. And they'll walk off and they'll go on to their next client. And I would take care of they, they, they guests that they just had cash them out, you know, rebook their appointments, make sure they had the retail products that they need for they left. And we kept it moving. And at the end of the day, they be like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you came here. Y'all, <laughs> y'all know I got y'all back. So wow. as owners, it's, it's that hat that you have to switch. When you notice your stylist is overwhelmed, you got to switch the hat and help them out. And if mm. you overwhelmed, you got to pass them on. One thing I did, um, was any new people that came in that didn't specifically walk into the door and ask for my name, they went to my stylist. Mm. I would step out of my room and tell my client, excuse me for a moment, I would step out that room, do a quick consultation with them, and I will book them with somebody else. You can only get in my chair if you came in the door and asked me and said, such and such sent you to me. Mm. That's the wow. only way you was allowed to be, be in my book. And I was booked solid. If I said I was working, I was working from sunup to sundown. I was working. Mm. And I didn't believe in trying to like service everybody that mm-hmm. came in. If I know I had a team, I had a stylist there, which is why the goal was for everybody to make $2,000 a week. I don't want to make 4000 and they make 500 mm. That doesn't seem fair to me. See, and I think that's probably what stood you out and why you're where you're at now, because you have that mindset. And I think that's the problem in general. I think when people own businesses like that, you know, something where you have like a team, because, yeah, if you're on a salon and you have a bunch of stylists, I mean, that is your team. And I think you you just said something extremely vital on just the type of character and business person that you are, because like you said, if you're making X amount of dollars you want your team to make that too. I think that's one of the disconnects with just some businesses in general, because if you own it and you're making X amount of dollars, but your teammates aren't, I think it also, you put yourself at risk because you're not getting the best out of those people either because they're frustrated, they're struggling, you know, and, exactly. you know, so I just feel like in general that, you know, that would also cause issues with a salon too, because you don't have a bunch of people on the same page. And people want to, I feel like with hairstyling too, that's a profession that you really have to love, you know, because you're putting your all into it. You're, it that's another thing too, where it's another level of creativity too. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I know of me personally, when I went to cosmetology school, like I would tell a lot of people, you know, you have to still have that skill. Like you can't, I feel like if you don't know how to do anything with hair, I just kind of feel as a misconception, like, okay, I don't know anything about hair, but I'm going to go to cosmetology school and they're going to teach me how to be an awesome stylist. Yeah, they'll teach you how to hone your skills and obviously the technical part of chemicals, but it's a talent. And I think that's one thing I think people kind of 
forget or they don't understand like some people just really have a talent for hair you know just like some people have a talent for makeup or a talent for singing like it's a gift you know doing hair you know so it's just some interesting things that you just said yeah it it, it definitely is a gift like you have to have a flair somewhere in there that's why I say it's so much to do in an industry and Mm -hmm. even even with doing hair right like mm-hmm. there's so much you can do with hair. You could just be the colorist. You like all mm-hmm. I do. I don't do nothing but. And then you can only color natural hair. I can only I only color curly, kinky, and coily hair. If your hair is wavy, I can't curl you. So you can literally pick an area that you specifically want to focus in and just right. focus right there. Like you have some people out here that will lay a lace frontal like nobody's business. Mm-hmm but cannot style natural hair. They can't even do a good blow dry. Right. But they'll have an assistant over there that's blow drying that hair out and braiding that hair down so that they can do what they got to do. And that's all they do. That's their 100% focus. And they're good at that. And it's okay. It's it's 100% okay. And if you have a stylist on your team where you know that that's what she good at and she ain't good at nothing else, then you feed her her excellence. Just give it to her. Like, mm-hmm. if I have somebody on my team and that's all they did, you can best believe anybody walking the door asking for a lace frontal, they're going to sit in her chair. I'll probably be her assistant. Because <laughs> right. I'm like, she got the patience, she fast, she good, she's great. I'll blow dry hair for you, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So that mentality we have as we need to have as salon owners, I think it's truly a fear of not helping your team succeed. And like you said, when you hire, when you when you bring people in, not even hire, let's take that word out for a minute. Mm-hmm. When you bring other people into the salon to work in your salon, you got to at you got to think about the fact that if you're a rental salon, they got to be able to pay you. So if you don't want to feed them no type of clients so that they could pay you, then that's a problem. If Mm. you know they're good. So if you know they're good and you're only a rental salon and they do not have a clientele, then you should have something worked out inside of their contract to help them build a clientele, give them some type of strategies so that they can be able to pay you. And if you're not willing to help them, then don't hire them. Mm. Look at somebody who already have a clientele who can afford to pay you. If you are that owner and don't want that type of responsibility at all. And it's not wrong. It's just the fact that just understand how your business operate. If that, if you like, listen, I'm looking for a stylist who has a full clientele is a booth rental salon. You will not get help with marketing or any like anything like that. You can come and go between these hours and that. Like just let it be known in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Most salons don't have that structure set, and that's where I come in at. That's all a part about me understanding your goals and making sure that your business is set up so that you achieve those goals. Like when most salons I work with, when they say they want to be, I'm a booth rental salon. Okay, so how much stop? How much help? Do you want to give the stylist? I want to get a stylist no help. Okay, mm-hmm. this is how you need to be set up. Some style, some salons say, okay, I want to be a booth rental salon, but I want some type of team atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Not a problem. This is how you need to set up. So regardless of how you want your salon to operate, you got to set up in that manner. And you got to make that known from the gate when you are interviewing these stylists to bring in. 
Mm. That way there's no, uh, what is it? I don't even know the word. No expectations that mm-hmm. the owner is not meeting. Right. Therefore, the can't look at you and be like, oh, I work in this salon and she don't do this and she don't do that and she don't do, nope, you made that clear in the beginning. Mm. And if that's not said, that's why most stylists leave. That's why most stylists quit. Because I've definitely known hairstylists like every other, like my mom, she used to go to this hairstylist. He would change salons. I mean, like underwear, like every year he would at least go through at least six different salons. Like he never would stay at a particular location. I know other people like, I mean, I have two sons. So just even something as minor as the barber, like sometimes he's at different places. So that, that makes sense too, actually. So Kind of going slightly off topic, obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, a lot of businesses have been affected, obviously, by COVID-19. So I know me personally, just doing makeup, it was affected. So how, what ha- what's been your observation as far as how co- the pandemic has affected the salon industry, the hair salon industry? The biggest effect I see is that you can't double book right now. Mm. There's no salon out there. You cannot have three nine o'clocks anymore. Right. So it is forcing us to work smart. Mm. Because before the pandemic, we was working really hard. You'll have three nine o'clocks. You'll have four eleven o'clocks. You'll have like three more two o'clocks. We can't book like that anymore because you can't have that many people in. Mm. And in a way, it's sort of great. Wow. Because now it's allowing the stylists, the owners, the salons to work really smart now. It's not smart to have, like you said, you was going in the salon, you have to sit there and wait. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to wait anymore. Well, first of all, you didn't want to wait in the beginning. You only waited <laughs> because your stylist was great and you right. wasn't going anywhere. But mm-hmm. now that wait is not there. So that stylist right now is like, okay, I can't do three nine o'clocks. What I can, what can I do? That means I either got to start opening up early to accommodate everybody so that they don't fall on top of each other. Or you start servicing one person where you start doing add-on services and things like that to accommodate them for a lengthier period of time. Because when you rebook them, their appointment is going to be out far. Because you can't have three nine o'clocks anymore. So the three people you had at nine o'clocks are now at nine, eleven, and one and when they rebook again in two weeks once again they're at nine eleven and one but you had all those other people you had the four you had at 11 o'clock you got to stretch them out so it's either going to make your day longer which means when they rebook it's going to rebook out further which is a great thing for salons and stylists because now we can project some type of income which is something that i stress all the time when i work with salons mm. I need to know your past income and I need to know your income projections. And the answers that I get are really wishy-washy. Wow. Because there's no, you know exactly how much you made already because you're not happy with that. But you have no idea on your income projections. Mm. Because until that week happened, you're like, oh, I only got two appointments. By Wednesday, you completely booked. You could have been completely booked two weeks ago. Mm. You could have been completely booked for that whole month a month ago. So it's really forcing us right now to work really smart. So because you can't have three nine o'clock, you have to space out your time. 
And in order to keep a consistent income right now, you have to rebook those appointments. And we're not going anywhere because I don't care how long we wear this mask. People still want their hair done. You're right about that. Do you feel like... I have clients text me during the pandemic. Mm. Are you doing house calls? I'm like, girl, no. (laughs) And that's exactly what what I was going to ask you. So, like, you know, like when it first got insane, you know, like between like March and April, was there a time period where, you know, you as a person that's involved in the salon industry where you guys are kind of worried, like, okay, is this going to just stop our businesses completely? Like, was that ever a thought at all? Like when it got really, really bad and, you know, everyone was kind of really unclear of you know what was safe and what wasn't of course of course because i mean this is your livelihood Mm -hmm. this is this is how you send your kids to college this is where you live this is how you're going to keep this roof over your head during the pandemic like we all can't live on the street so without this it's like well what what do i have Mm -hmm. the grocery store isn't hiring because that was the only place that was open you're Mm -hmm. like they full like i can't go work over there you thinking? I, I literally was thinking about okay, all the places that are open right now are they hiring? Because mm. if I can't work in a salon, then I'm gonna have to go and get one of these essential jobs. Right, right. Nursing was not it because you have to go to school for that. So can I work in a convenience store? Can I work in a drugstore? Like, where can can I work in a hardware store? Like, what are the things that's open that I can get a job in real fast? So, yes, that was definitely a concern of mine. But mm. as I as you can as I continue to watch the news and and see. I'm like, these politicians that are out there, like, they need their hair done. Who's doing their hair? Mm, wow. They can't show up on TV and all this stuff every day looking polished. Who's polishing them? Right. We're polishing them. So something was going to have to change somewhere. We just didn't know when or what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the time we're living in right now is definitely, it's, it's, it's unpredictable. So you really can't, the only thing you control can control right now is the fact that your salon is open. Mm-hmm. You just operate accordingly. Right. Have your guests wear, wear, put their mask on. It's for your safety. It's for their safety. Sign the papers. Most salons have release forms for people to sign when they come in. Mm-hmm. They're doing temperature checks. Do your extra cleaning that you have to do. Like, just stay to your safety and sanitation procedures that you learn in school. Like, and if you don't remember, there's barbicide courses out there that you can take really quickly. Course is not not hard at all. It may take you not even an hour to get that barbicide certification posted up, and just let your guest that's coming in know that listen, we're we're safe. We're here. We're ready to service you. We're going to take all the extra precautions that we need. Um, I know for myself, like a lot of the cleaning, I was already doing that before. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm honestly, I'm a germaphobic. That's just me. See, so, honestly, what you just said when you mentioned the whole barber side, I'm like, hey, you know, if a person's really operating their salon the way they should be, they should already know that anyway. You know, right. so I'm right. happy you mentioned that because I'm like, wait, right. barber side. I mean, they should be doing that already. So maybe this exactly. is also something too where people could kind of think twice because I think some some of us tend to maybe go to some salons that they know they probably shouldn't be going to you know because they're not really operating correctly but they want to get a cheaper deal you know like oh you know boo boo does good hair but she doesn't charge that much time to go to her salon knowing that it's not really up to par so I hope on the flip side 
that also helps other people to kind of know like, okay, this is why you need to be paying X, Y, Z to Miss Ma'am over here because she's actually operating her salon correctly. She's sanitizing correctly. And as you mentioned, that's something that should have been done prior to COVID. So, you know, hopefully that helps in that sense too, because like you mentioned, sanitation that's something in like the beauty industry, which, you know, a, a professional stylist should already be practicing, you know, definitely. Exactly. exactly. That's why when like, um, like they're saying, like, you have to do all this extra cleaning, like you got to buy um, like extra capes and you have to buy extra towels. And I'm like, why is it extra? Like that part for me, I just didn't get it because mm-hmm. you shouldn't put the same cape on the same guest anyway. You should, you're definitely not going to use the same towel. Like mm-hmm. you shouldn't use the same comb. Like if you use yeah, the brush, then you should at least clean the blush brush out real fast. I know me, I have my favorite brushes. So instead of doing a basic clean, I just have to do a little deeper clean now in between every person. Mm-hmm. So like all of that stuff is already there. And my huge thing is it's quality over quantity, especially right. right now. Mm-hmm quality over quantity definitely so something i wanted to ask you so you've written books too you know like i said you have an excellent resume so you have the six-step system to creating a six-figure salon so is that like your first book or have you wrote several that is my first book what i did was when i closed my salon down and i started actually coaching um i was like well i should write a book because it's one of me and if it's one of me, it's just one of me. I, I can't be cloned. So in order to clone me, I could write a book. Mm. And a book can reach more people. It can give you the basis of how, where you need to start, the things you need to have in place. And then once you have that in place, now we could work together on maybe a quicker section session or a group session. And you still have the basics down and I can still be able to help you build your salon. So that was my first book that I wrote. Um, and in the process of writing that, um, I would go to trade shows and I would teach classes at trade shows. Also, um, business classes at different trade shows, um, salon promotions, how to create six figure salons. And I will always sell out all the copies of the books that I had. And then a couple of times I was at a few shows, maybe about a year ago, someone asked me about contracts. And I was like, contract? She was like, yeah. She was like, I got this salon and I need some contracts and I just can't find contracts anywhere. They don't say this. They say this. They don't say this. They don't say that. And she was telling me all the paperwork she needed. Mm-hmm. And it was on me. Like, I have all that paperwork. I own the salon. Wow. And that's where my second book came from. Salon Forms. It's mm. nothing but every piece of paperwork you need to operate your salon business. Every form in there I've used is in that book. I was a, a booth rental salon first. So of course it's a booth rental contract. I was also a commission salon. So there is an employee contract in there also. Um, and as an employee base, um, my stylist had to apply if they wanted to take leave, take a week off or vacation. There's leave forms in there. There's tax forms in there. We had consult specific consultation forms for every stylist who specialize in different things. One of my stylists was, um, she did a lot of wigs. So there's a wig consultation form. And I was like, nope, you need a different form. You can't have the basic form. But the basic form is in there also. So every piece of paper, period, that you would ever need in your salon business, I just, I put it in a book. Mm. 
and wow. salons are you can purchase it you can copy the page all you have to do is plug in your actual numbers sign it follow it away um i've actually had like a couple distributors purchase the book but when they go to different salons to show them that hey your contract should look like this if not you need to go get this book so they purchased the paperback to take with them to different salons. Um, most people ordered a digital copy. I have digital copies, which allows you to be able to print out whatever form you need at that specific moment and be able to print it, fill it in, sign it, file it away. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It was really, people were telling me what they want. I'm like, okay, let me go get that. Like I already have it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's... Very smart. Now, you know, obviously with the pandemic, a lot of people are doing a lot of virtual things. Are you like doing any type of classes virtually like to coach people? Like how does your coaching process work now? Are you doing a lot of things virtually to reach out to people? I am doing a lot of things virtually. I did have a lot of um, I had two workshops, two in-person workshops scheduled for this year. But of course, because of COVID, that got canceled. So I am doing a lot of virtual coaching sessions. Um, I do a group Q&A call every Monday at 12 p.m. for um, the Salon Business Blueprint Club. Um, I do my two hour strategy sessions. We do those through Zoom because I need to see your paperwork. I need you to hold this up. I need you to show it to me. Um, so I'm doing a lot of um, Zoom, uh, Zoom, Zoom uh, coaching calls right now. So, yes, I mean, everything is virtually virtually right now. Um mm-hmm. I'm also in a couple shows, I want to say, that rest of this year, two or three shows, um, physical shows that I would normally go to turn virtual. Um, so I'll be teaching classes there. Um, I'm interested in seeing how that actually is going to work out because um, the major shows that you would normally go in a 10 and walk through and sit in the classes, they're turning virtual. So I'm interested in seeing how that's going to play out. They're actually two or three days long, too. Mm, wow. I wonder how this is going to affect things like the Bonner Brothers show, you know. They're actually virtual. Bonner's is actually virtual. um, Nice. In September, I want to say. I believe their show is in September, but they went virtual as well. So it's going to be, this is an exciting year. I would say this year is a very exciting year. Like we were looking for that big hoorah when uh, at the end of 1999. I think this is the year for that. So 20 years later, here's our big hoorah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm glad you said that because, and it's funny because this month, you know, I'm celebrating and this episode is going to be released in a few weeks because I'm going to do like an entrepreneur series. But, you know, for the month of August, it's, you know, the year of the podcast, the first year anniversary. And so I started, I'm looking like, oh, you know, I want to re-release some episodes, blah, blah, blah. And one of my favorite ones, even to this day, was one that me and, you know, one of my recurring guests, we did in the beginning of January. So, of course, you know, we're talking about how great the year is going to be and blah, blah, blah. And when I was listening to it again to edit it, and I was like, this is so strange in a sense listening to this. But I felt like, hey, despite everything that's happened over the past eight months, I feel like that enthusiasm and excitement is still there because despite everything, all of us entrepreneurs, the whole virtual aspect, though, I feel actually opened more doors, you know, than if the virus had never happened because 
I just feel like we're able to go across on so many levels and meet people that I just feel like we would not have necessarily met if it wasn't for the whole virtual thing. So I just feel like the excitement on a business level is like even better than I think a lot of us could have imagined. And I think it's helped us because like I said, the whole virtual aspect is amazing. (laughs) It's like it's like it's like we've reached a um we well first of all all of us has been pushed have been pushed outside of our comfort zone yes like you i gotta do what <laughs> and it's been forcing us to think and act differently right like seriously even even if those who have been working from home so right. imagine for a moment all the style is all the mini salons that have been working from home already, it has forced them to think and work differently also. Right. Every entrepreneur that's been working from home from the beginning with that mentality, like, well, I work from home anyway. No, everybody's in your home right now. So you started to work from home differently. Like it really has forced us to really think differently. Like everybody's outside of the box. There is no box anymore. So <laughs> right. We're making our own our own box. You know, right. like we're we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're making our own structure. Um, right. We all are outside of the box. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Like th- and that's ultimately where it comes in, like where I where I always talk about that we have to let the fear go because it's forcing us right now. Like we can't even be fearful right now. Cause you it, it there's nothing to fear because we don't know anything. So it's almost like, well, what are you scared of? You don't, you don't know nothing. You don't know how long we're gonna wear this mask. You don't know. We didn't know how long salons were gonna be closed down. Like we don't even know whether we're gonna be closed down again. Like we don't know anything right now. So it's almost like there's nothing for you to be scared of. So just do it. Right, right. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's an amazing point. Like I said, I just it still just excites me now. You know, just meeting so many people. The networking alone, I feel, has been amazing. You know, I've met so exactly. many people over the past few months, yourself included. It's just a great thing. You know? So right. I think at first, you know, and I've mentioned this on some past shows, you know, during that time period between March and April, yeah, I think a lot of us were in shock. Okay. Because, right. right. Yeah, it did affect a lot <laughs> of our businesses. And it was like, okay, <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? But I we think also thirty days that we grew like everybody. Right. Once that initial, world, exactly. I think we all were in that same boat. But once right. that initial shock wore off, I feel like everybody just took the situation and ran with it. Yes. You know, yes, it just got amazingly creative, which is always a good thing. Yeah. So the question I was saving up <laughs> that I took from <laughs> our earlier conversation when you mentioned, you know, you're doing a five dollar you know, French rolls and everything. So like I said, I have a kitchen beautician background too. And I think if I whipped out some old pictures from like the 90s, I would probably see a lot of hairstyles that I wore that were like hitting back then. Mm-hmm. But now I would probably cringe. So <laughs> what would you say is like, if you could think off the top of your head, what would be like the number one like hairstyle that you would probably look back now in August of 2020 and be like, oh my God, like I can't believe I wore that. Like what hairstyle would you think? I wore something back in the day. This was in, oof, this is probably the 90s. 
It was, I used to wear my hair short. I used to use pump it up spritz to the point like I was frying my hair. My hair was like rock hard. I would add in these tracks in the front and have this high thing in the top of my head. It was like a big feather. And I can't believe I actually wore that. But back then it was like <laughs> off the chain. <laughs> What hairstyle would you What's say? You know? <laughs> Back then, girl, you can't tell me nothing with that hair. <laughs> what hairstyle would you look at now and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I wore that? Right now, I remember I had the, um, remember you used to cut the front, okay, you used to part your hair across from ear to ear. Mm-hmm. And you the back long. Mm-hmm. And cut the front, like the whole bang went from your sideburns all the way around the other sideburns. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. yes. I had that style. I was cute. You couldn't tell me nothing. But when it grew <laughs> out, I couldn't see. Right. <laughs> so when it grew out, I would take the whole front, right? And mm-hmm. I would comb it over to like one side, like the comb over. And I would like roll it up. <laughs> so it was like I had this roll on the side, of, like a like a French roll cocked to the side in the front. <laughs> and I would have the back long. Wow. Nothing because my role was on point. Right. <laughs> it, it was so on point that if you if you imagine like if you take your hand and put it against the right side of your ear and just go straight up, my role would sit right against your hand, like nice and tucked to my head, everything. I was cute. You couldn't tell me. <laughs> I hear you. That is so and I, I still kept the back long and straight, but I had that I just had that roll across the front because I was younger then, and I didn't know about like keeping weekly hair appointments and stuff right. like that. So when it, when I got the cut, I was good, right. and my mom would take me back to get the cut done again, like freshened up. But I couldn't see, so I had to figure out something to do with the cut. <laughs> right, right. One time, and I went to school, and they was like, "Your hair is cute." Like, oh my god, can you do one? I never forget going to the bathroom doing one of my friends' hair, but I put hers on the other side because I was like, she can't look like me. <laughs> That is so funny. I know when the rap first came out, sometimes I would wear my hair to school wrapped and it would be like this tight, tight, tight wrap. And I remember sometimes people would be like, man, your wrap is so tight. It's so clean. It's so smooth. And it's like the fact that I actually wore my hair actually like wrapped in the circle without combing it down, you yeah. know, like boggles my mind to this right like now you know, that I actually like even left the house in public like that. But, you know. <laughs> I think, the I think we did, but we were right. we cute back then. Right, we, we was follow, cute we then. We were following the latest trends, <laughs> if not setting our own trends. I right. remember those styles. Exactly. We were cute then. So one last question. So something that I started a few months ago that I wanted to initiate, I wanted to round out the episodes asking my guests, how do you define a queen? A queen is defined as a person who... Let me see. Let me let me gather my right words right here because Take I'm probably talking about myself. <laughs> Take when I describe <clears throat> So first of all, let me sit up straight because <laughs> that's part of the definition of a queen. You know, holding up your own self, sitting up with a nice tall posture, carrying your own, walking with confidence. Keeping your head up high, standing in your purpose, Mm. follow your passion, give yourself the opportunity to be great and to fail. Note your failure, failure, which are your mistakes, but keep moving and clean success. 
I would say that sounds like a definition of a queen to me. I love it. That is absolutely beautiful. I love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much. Before we end everything, guys, of course, this is Miss Alicia Monique. She is a fabulous, awesome salon coach. And all my ladies, if you got your salon, you guys better check her out because she has the key, the blueprint on how to get your salon to that next level. So I want you to go ahead for everyone that's listening, tell them all your contact information so they can find you, give them all your social media platforms, websites, everything. So let everyone know how they can find you. Sure. You can reach out to me on my website at aliciamonique.com or you can follow me on Instagram, aliciamonique underscore educator. Um, If you follow me on any social media platforms, I'm typically Alicia Monique with a blue jacket. If it's not a blue jacket on, then that's not me. Um, Otherwise, you can uh, also get to all of my links through my website also at aliciamonique.com. Awesome. And I did notice that you had on blue and I meant, I want to <laughs> notice that yes, that girl, was your yes. theme color. Cause if you notice mine is purple, if anyone you know, right. analyzed. So I did catch that with the blue. So blue is another color of royalty too. Hint, hint to everybody. So mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you so much. Like I said, I really enjoyed this conversation. You made me really think back to my kitchen beautician days. God knows I actually had a ball. <laughs> right. So you actually made me think about those times and I definitely love your answer. What defines a queen? It was amazing. Thank you so much again. And like I said, I love talking to entrepreneurs and I just love the fact that you discuss the business side of stylists, you know, and I think people, it's just a part that I think people don't really have that conversation. So thank you so much for enlightening everyone. And this is a really fun conversation. I may whip out some more pictures and look at some of my old struggle hairstyles and maybe even post them um, when I <laughs> when I publish this episode. Last next so Friday, much. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Q Chat Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Queen's Arrogance LLC. Our company website is www.goqueen.com.